Let's go back to start with Matt McMurray in the European Le Mans Series Championship for our this week's Hashtag Anteaters in Racing updates. So last time he raced was in Austria at the four hours of the Red Bull Ring in July, ever since he's been enjoying his summer break in Albufeira, Portugal, including going go-karting one day. But since he tells me that he has been working in the Algarve Pro Racing Shop in a couple of technical capacities, practicing with engineering, because he's an engineering student here, he's been making a few charts, he tells me, and organizing some data for the team in his spare time. He tells me that he's working with the telemetry coverage. There have some, been some technical difficulties with telemetry on the Ligier recently. So he's ma been making a spreadsheet, and he's also making spreadsheets about clutchware. And then he tells me he's kind of bored right now because that's pretty much all the team has for him. They've got plenty of engineers working on that car day and night so far. The second update that's been good for his team in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, the Across the Pond team, Park Place Motorsports, Dyson, the vacuum company we all know, signed an agreement to sponsor the Park Place Motorsports portion in the Grand Touring Daytona class of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for the next two races. That included last week's race at Road America and will continue through Road Atlanta, the Petit Le Mans. So he's been working with that company as well. He's kind of jealous because Jörg Bergmeister and Patrick Lindsay apparently got free vacuums out of the deal, but he didn't. So that's been a pretty interesting summer, hasn't it been, Tristan, for, for Matt? No, I think it's great that, you know, he's getting able to work with the engineers on his team and, you know, just add another layer of support to his team, you know, uh, helping him out with uh, organizing data that will not only help him as an engineering student, but also as a driver, you know, getting more understanding of what his team, what the team and the engineers do day in and day out, and he'll be able to follow along um, everything that they're doing and understand it. So I think it's great, great for him. And then the Dyson sponsorship definitely is, is good for any team to get additional sponsorship for the rest of the season. He's hoping that they will return in 2018 as well. In other news in the European Le Mans series, one of Matt's competitors, the Talk With Motorsports team, has been kind of funny. The Talk With Motorsports program, the racing team withdrew from the European Le Mans series and announced it about a couple of weeks ago due to an issue between the owner of the team principal of the race team and the owner of the actual race cars. The catalyst for the cessation of the program appears, according to Daily Sports Car, appears bizarrely to have been filmmaking, the, the filming at Talkwith's premises of a promotional video for an X-Factor X contestant, Honey G, which featured a Hanson's car without their consent. And since it's a bit of a variety show here today, I kind of thought, well, let's see what's, let's hear what this music video is all about. And I also have uh, some of the screenshots that I'll describe for you. Let me get that going here. In the meantime, let me explain about the Hansons and the talk with racing team. The, the Hanson family owns the race cars, including an Audi R8 GT3 car and uh, an LMP2 car that races in European Le Mans, as well as an LMP3 class car. So what do you think about the story so far, Tristan? Yeah, it's pretty uh, bizarre story. Never, not something that I've ever heard of before, you know, a team pulling out of a series because of some external, you know, circumstance or involvement. Let's take a short listen at, at just what this video is all about. So let me put that on here. As you can already tell, it's kind of an uh, interesting song there. Interesting song, interesting artist to go with for a music video. In this music video, the Audi R8 GT3 apparently was used without permission of the Hansen family, which own, who owns the cars. 
So the video, there's an opening shot with the R8 in a sort of rainy weather atmosphere. And then the next shot shows Honey G sitting on the car. And, the, and there's also a horse and another woman riding that horse. All part of this Honey G, Hit You With The Honey G is the, is the song title. And so apparently Talk With wanted to, the team principal Talk With Motorsport wanted to make some money for the team. I mean, who doesn't want to make money for the race team? More money means better engineering, more development. Uh, more racing. So they agreed with that, only to not ask permission from the Hansons. So it's got a, it's a very bizarre story indeed. I don't know. Again, it's kind of weird that the uh, principal didn't um, contact the family about using the, the, the car in that, in that video because, you know, as you mentioned, he's uh, raising money for the team. You know, money in motorsports is essential to uh, surviving in the business. So, yeah, I find that a little surprising. Anyway, yeah, you can definitely find there's the videos up there if you if you want to watch it. Uh, you know, I, you might like it. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of on the fence about it myself. It's a bit weird, but you know, but rap artists kind of rap artists kind of want to do express their own personalities, and so they decided, Honey G decided using a car in the film would exp help express her personality. So let's move on to Samantha Tan. Samantha Tan just had her race at the Grand Prix of Utah last weekend in the Pirelli World Challenge, the touring car class. She qualified 25th on Saturday morning for round 7 of the season. Her first race had a crazy start since the track involves a long straight before turn 1, the Miller Motorsports Complex. At the front of the field, multiple cars spun around blocking the track, and at the back half of the field, she barely had time to avoid it, but she amazingly did avoid that first lap accident in that first race. I highly, highly recommend going to her Facebook page, Samantha Tan's Facebook page, to check out our onboard video of her avoiding the stop cars in front of her. She did an incredible job. Here are comments from her weekend on the Facebook page. She also had a race later that Saturday that she did not finish due to a turn one accident. So she says, really unlucky weekend in Utah. In race one, I passed four cars, but the car overheated with seven minutes to go. And me interjecting, that's probably due to the fact that she ran off track at the beginning of the race. She says, I had to stop on the side of the track and restart the car. Fortunately, I got past the big mess in turn one at the start. In race two, I wasn't so lucky. I passed five cars in the start, but there was a pile up in the middle of turn one. I got around, but not before another car smashed one of the cars involved into me. That car punctured both left tires and got metal stuck through my brake caliber. So I couldn't even finish the race. Super proud of the start I had though. Would have been nice to see where I ended up at the end of the race. However, I'm going to get that back at Coda, Circuit of the Americas, definitely. Her teammate Nick Whitmer had two really good races finishing P9 in race one and P2 on the podium in race two. In race two, he had a flying start, which allowed him to avoid the first turn accident in that race. And with only a few minutes left, he gained second position by taking advantage of slower traffic. So a pretty good weekend for Samantha Tan racing overall. However, Samantha Tan had some bad luck. Glad to hear that Samantha's okay after that accident. Yeah, but you know, sometimes in racing, you know, just... Sometimes things don't go your way, and unfortunately that happened for Samantha. But, you know, there was some positives because her teammate Whitmer got some solid points for the team to help them in the championship. Mm -hmm. Always got to look at the bright side. Yeah, definitely. And with her flying start that she was t uh, commenting on and avoiding the wreck, that just shows how she's improving as a driver as well. So let's move on from that. That is the conclusion of this week's Hashtag Anteaters and Racing Updates, which is your source for updates on UC Irvine's racing drivers. Samantha Tan is an economics major here at UC Irvine. 
So let's move on to your specialty, Tristan, Formula One. There's a lot that's happened the last three or four weeks since you were last on the show, the Hungarian Grand Prix included. Actually, let's talk about the interesting announcement that happened before that weekend with the introduction of a new safety device called the Halo. Explain what the Halo is. Yeah, the FIA announced uh, a couple of days before the Hungarian Grand Prix that in 2018, all F1 cars are required to implement the Halo cockpit protection device. So essentially, it's a device that protects the driver's head on the event of an accident or flying debris or things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the FAA introduced this. They're imposing that for 2018, and the driver certainly had some reactions to that. It's been a very controversial subject. What do you think? Yeah, so we've heard uh, some feedback from the drivers on the announcement during the uh, pre-race press conference before the Grand Prix weekend. Sebastian Vettel of Scuderia Ferrari was asked to stop in the handle and uh, how it stacked up against the shield he talked about Silverstone. He stated that he was not a fan of the shield because... It negatively affected his visibility, whereas the halo did not affect his visibility. So he's happy to use the device and because it will make drivers safer. And it would be, quoting him here, ignorant to ignore the dangers of not having cockpit protection. Yeah, and that's, then, definitely. Yeah, and then we also have Fernando Alonso of McLaren Honda. He reciprocated the feeling that Vettel expressed saying that he prefers safety or aesthetics. A big talking point to Halo is that it reflects the look of a Formula One car because it kind of it protrudes out, and you can't really keep the driver that much. Mm-hmm. But Alonso is all for safety. And if you recall, he had that massive crash at last year's uh, Australian Grand Prix where he essentially did a barrel when he crashed with Esteban Gutierrez. So they asked him about, you know, the role that the Halo would have played in that crash if it was implemented at that time. And he said that his biggest worry about during that crash was something hitting his helmet. So he's happy to not repeat that crash, but to to wear the the Halo device in the event that that happens again. Yeah, I definitely see what they're saying about that. Are there any drivers that are critical of the Halo still? Yeah, there's actually three. There's uh, Nico Hulkenberg of Renault, Max Verstappen of Rebel Racing, and Kevin Magnussen of Haas F1 that are not too thrilled about the announcement. Hulkenberg has been very vocal in the past, even before the official announcement, but he admitted that, you know, the decision is what it is. You know, he's still going to race. He's not going to retire from the sport and just get on with it. He was saying that he is not sure that the X protection is necessary since, you know, since freak accidents are one out of a million. And then, and right now in Formula One, there's less chance of tires and other debris flying around with mm-hmm. the use of tethers and all areas of safety in F1 and the cars themselves keep improving. So he is not keen on the idea. And then Verstappen saying he did not like the decision, but it has to be respected. He said that since the introduction of the virtual safety car in 2015, that reduces the speed of the cars on the yellow flags with safer conditions. And also, again, the wheel tethers are strong enough that the cars will not lose a wheel. And he states that the halo will not really protect the driver when parts are flying around. So he doesn't understand why it is needed. And then Kevin Magnuson said that the halo isn't what F1 is about, that there, that there should be a more clever solution for carpet protection. He doesn't believe that safety is always number one because the reason why Formula One is so popular, and I guess you could say for motorsports in general, because of the element of danger, and 
he feels that right now Formula One is safe enough that it feels right to go racing. He continue on to say that you can always make F1 safer, but that will make it less exciting, and that is the problem he has with the Halo. I see, I see. Talk about the Halo specifically. There's a lot of details about what the Halo does and how it uh, and how it works, essentially. Yes, yeah, FI also held a press conference the same day after that driver's press conference detailing the facts and the research behind the Halo. I'll give you some background information here. Cockpit protection has been in development since 2011, and the FIA began with a design target on various prototypes being that the protection is able to deflect the wheel traveling at 225 kilometers an hour. Wow. And so after working with various prototypes, they narrowed it down to our three protection systems, which are the halo, the arrow screen, which is similar to the halo. It's basically the same structure, but it, it just has a windscreen in front of it, and the shield, with it, which is just a windscreen very similar to a fighter jet. But the two issues with the arrow screen and the shield that the FIA saw was that it presented issues related to fog, rain, dirt, and things like that, because there's no way to clean the screen during a race unless pit stop or something like that. I see, um, I see, yeah. The halo is the only option that successfully met the design target, which was being able to deflect the wheel that was traveling at 225 kilometers an hour. Mm -hmm. So that's why I decided to develop the option. Their initial target was to actually implement it at the beginning of this year, but they decided that the hail still needed some work to be implemented. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the July 2016 strategy group meeting, they unanimously voted for the implementation of the halo in 2019. After that, to evaluate the net safety benefits provided by the halo, the FIA looked at three major risk families and real accidents. So the first one being car-to-car -car contact, the second being car-to-environment contact, and the third being external objects. There have been a lot of examples of these different accident types that you're describing that have resulted in serious injury or death in the race car. Right, yeah. So those three risk families are what compose what the FAA called a risk assessment study, where they simulated the exact accidents that have been seen in the real world, but with cars having tails in the simulation to determine the role it could have played in them. And then determine whether the effect of the halo the effect of the halo was by seeing if the effect was positive, neutral, or negative. Mm -hmm. So some some examples of accidents that have happened. So an example of car-to-car -car contact, we have that 2012 spa incident with the Roman Grosjean Fernando Alonso, where Grosjean went over the front nose of Alonso's car. Yeah, um, that was a very near miss. We're talking right. about Alon uh, Fernando Alonso, um, Roman Grosjean's contact at the 2012 Belgian Grand Prix. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then you had Nico Rosberg and Ryan Krasikian's crash at the 2012 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, where Krasikian's car essentially was catapulted off the rear of Rosberg's car, narrowly missing his head. And then recently, we had the 2015 crash at the Austrian Grand Prix involving Fernando Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen, where Alonso's car was essentially perched on Raikkonen. He was perched on the roll hoop. Yeah. So that's car-to-car -car contact. For car-to-environment examples, obviously the tragic accident, the 2014 Joe Bianchi crash in the Japanese Grand Prix, and that ultimately resulted in him passing away, sadly. And that was the first Formula One fatality since Ayrton Senna in 1994. Yeah. That's how important yeah. this incident was. Do you think it, that's what started the investigation into safety devices such as the Halo? 
Well, like I mentioned earlier, Eastern Kentucky Protection was started in 2011. So oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty early on, but I think that accent kind of pushed that fight to you know, really get this implemented quickly mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Okay. So other examples yeah. we have of the environment is Hecky Kovalainen's crash in Barcelona in 2008, Pearl yeah. Sign's crash in 2015 in the Russian Grand Prix, and then the very, very tragic downloading crash in 2011 at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Yeah, definitely. That one was really hard for me personally. I remember watching that one. That means IndyCar possibly should consider something like this as well. Before we go to our halftime break here, uh, what are your personal thoughts on the Halo? To be honest with you, I don't like the fact that you can't really see the driver that much. I really like the aspect of the one that you get to see the driver, you know, operating the car and the aspect of it. I kind of agree with Magnuson. I feel like F1 is safe to the point where it feels right for these drivers to race. I'm not completely against cockpit protection, but I think the Halo, now that the fact that teams know it has to be implemented into 2018 cars, I think they'll find a way to, to make it look more aesthetically pleasing than what we've seen in the past. So there's clever engineers in Formula. I'm sure they'll find a way to make it as aerodynamic as possible, which will probably help look I see, yeah. Thank you so much for commenting on the Halo, Tristan. We'll be back right after this short break. You're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Noah Stein, and with me right now is Tristan Cortez. We'll be right back. All right, we're back here on Speedway Sounds with Noah Stein here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm with Tristan Cortez, the Speedway Sounds F1 analyst. Welcome back, Tristan. Yeah, welcome back. Let's talk about the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix now after all the discussion about the Halo. So, during free practice, the Red Bull seemed to be setting the pace with Daniel Ricciardo being the fastest laps in each session. So, they looked on par to do well at the Hungaro ring. In FP1, Julian Palmer's front wing disintegrated spectacularly at turn four as he rode the curbs too aggressively on the exit. Then in free practice two, Pascal Vrilli had a nasty accident in the slobber that left the mechanics with a lot of work to do. And uh, also to note is that both McLarens of Van Dorn and Alonso were consistently in the top ten. So moving on to qualifying, after free practice three, Felipe Massa reported that he was feeling very ill and not fit to race. So Williams called in their test driver, Paul DeResta, to fit him for qualifying and the Grand Prix making his first start in a Grand Prix weekend since Brazil 2013, and he qualified 19th with no previous experience in a 2017 F1 car. big surprise uh, before Syria was that Ocon and Perez were out of Q2, and then, well, not surprisingly, because the Hungarian suited to the McLaren. Both McLarens made it into Q3. Hamilton shot in Q2 and Q3 going off track and turned four twice but still managed to put in some decent lap times. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't enough, as Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen made it a Ferrari front lockout for second this season after the Monaco Grand Prix. And Bottas and Hamilton from Mercedes, third and fourth respectively. Verstappen and Ricardo, despite the Red Bull's potential free practice, qualified fifth and sixth respectively. And then Stavo Van Doren and Fernando Alonso qualified eighth and ninth for Anaheim, giving them a great chance for points before the summer break. And then... Uh, Carl Sainz and the Toro also rounding out the top 10. So, moving on to the race. Since turn one, on the start, the two Ferraris of Vettel and Raikkonen came close, but Sebastian Vettel did well to hold on to the lead coming out of turn one. 
Max Verstappen got a great start off the line, as we're accustomed to seeing. Tim Hamilton getting just hit with both of them in turn one. But Verstappen got caught out by Raikkonen breaking early into turn one, which allowed both of to pull up alongside and squeeze Verstappen on the AstroTurf now set up turn one. While all this was happening, Daniel Ricciardo was, was able to nip down the inside of Hamilton and end up side-by-side with Verstappen out of turn one. So Verstappen was on the back foot. At the back of the field, Nico Volkenberg made contact with Roman Grosjean and Haas. That forced him off the track. Essentially right in front of teammate Kevin Mackison, which he remarked in the radio, if you can do what Nico did to Roman, it's going to be a very race. So moving on to the Ricardo and Verstappen thing. So Ricardo's on the outside into turn two and gave Verstappen a lot of room. But Verstappen locked up on his front left, causing him to understeer into the side of Ricardo. Verstappen made contact with his teammate, which is something you never want to do. So Ricardo tried to keep the car stable but spun around, and the rest of the field was having to take avoiding action. He was forced to retire. He then called Max to throw things around the radio and then stated later that it was maturity on Verstappen's part. This brought out the safety car on lap one and the restart would occur on lap six, where Verstappen kept ahead of Hamilton, but he was later had a 10-second penalty by race control. Moving on to lap twenty-two, Ron Grosjean retired when the wheel came loose after unsafe release. And then on lap twenty-five, a huge game changer for the race. Race leader Sebastian Vettel came on the radio saying that the steering was hanging to the left on the straight and that it was worsening. So this held up Kimi Räikkönen at the period of pace, which allowed the two Mercedes and gain on them. Ferrari trying to preserve that one too, that they desperately needed. And then Lewis Hamilton was having radio issues as well during the first sprint and a third of his second sprint. There was only one radio, so the team talked to him, but he could not get back to them. Other than that, there was a great battle between Fernando Alonso and Paul Sainz, the two Spaniards, for sixth place. And that carried over into the first pit stop with Sainz just exiting in front of Alonso to keep that sixth place. Alonso wasn't going to give up there. He went down the inside of turn one, but overcooked it in light 38, and Sainz got the switch back with Alonso. But Alonso countered with a move around the outside of Sainz at turn two to grab that sixth position. And then Vettel was stopped by Ferrari in lap 39 to avoid the curves to prevent further steering problems. Vettel having to drive very carefully. Raikkonen coming on the radio later to say that the Mercedes are going to pressure them heavily. Lewis Hamilton finally got radio contact back with his team saying that the team should let him use the loads of space that he had. Excuse me, on lap 46, Lodaff let Hamilton pass the turn one so he could cash Raikkonen. And on lap 52, Hamilton immediately caught to Raikkonen, lapping the second faster than both him and Vettel. Later on in the race, at lap 52, Hamilton told he had five laps to overtake. And then on lap 62, Paul DiResta had to retire, bringing his event to his F1 return. On lap 69, Nico Holkenberg retired. Hamilton just couldn't quite catch up to Raikkonen. So Sebastian Vettel took his fourth one of the season with Kimi Raikkonen second, giving Ferrari the first one two at home since 2004. And then on the final corner of the last lap, Lewis Hamilton let, let Botas through on the inside to take third. So with Hamilton placing fourth, the championship lead increased from one point to 14. Verstappen fifth for Red Bull, and get this, Fernando Alonso. Sixth place and set the fastest lap of the race on the last lap. Wow. So, yeah. by Fernando Alonso. So, yeah, uh, yeah points and then Van, with Van Gogh and Tampa, points finished from McLaren Honda heading into the summer break. A great little moment at the end of the Grand Prix. Was, uh, while Van Gogh and both of us were celebrating on the podium, Fernando was uh, sat in the deck chair in the Park Ferme where there was a mural of him, a famous picture of him in the deck chair, and holding the F1 wishes you a happy holiday time, so a great gesture by Alonso. 
But yeah. the action didn't stop there for the teams. After the Grand Prix, there was a test. Yeah, testing. Tristan, before we talk about the test, I wanted to quickly ask you about, because the, the move by Lewis Hamilton to let Valtteri Bottas back, that was a, a significant move to show Lewis Hamilton's sportsmanship. It was quite unusual for anybody to relinquish a position to a teammate, but there was a deal sort of made between the Mercedes drivers about trying to attack the Ferraris up front. Yeah, when Hamilton got communication back to the team, he requested that they let him use the pace that he had because he had superior pace to the Ferraris. So they let Hamilton, they told Bottas to let Hamilton through. The team later informed Bottas that if Hamilton could not catch Raikkonen, that they would let him back pass. To be honest, when I was watching the race, I didn't think he'd let him pass because they told him he had a five laps over stake, but that came and went really fast. Mm-hmm, and yeah. third, right until the last corner of the last lap and let both times through. So, yeah, I was, to be honest, I was taking surprise at that because in the championship, this close, every point matters. Definitely. All right, so really quickly, talk about the young driver test who impressed. Yeah, so those are uh, in-season testing, post-Hungarian Grand Prix. Our young drivers got the first taste of F1 machinery, including Charles Leclerc, the Formula 2 championship leader who is just dominating that series. And then other young drivers include George Russell, a junior driver from Mercedes, Nikita Mazepin, a Force India test driver, Lucas Ayer, who is driving from Force India, who is a DTM star, all because of that BWT sponsorship that Force India has. It's also very active in DTM. You also have Nicholas Mkifi, Renault, John Galeo for Toro Rosso, who's an Indonesian Formula 2 racer, Santino Ferrucci, Bernhoff, Santino Ferrucci. Sorry for interrupting. Santino Ferrucci is uh, probably the most notable name out of out of most of them because he's American. Right. Yeah, American driver for American team is a huge, huge thing. So going on to the time, so impressively, Charles Leclerc hit the field ahead of Stoffel Van Dorn, and then next came Bottas, then Russell, then Stroll, and Rosalind, then Latifi, then Galileo, over Ferrucci. Verstappen was held back by reliability problems and nostalgia. And then on day two, day two, the Hungary test saw the return of one of F1's last world champions, Robert Kubica, the Polish driver, who had an unfortunate accident while rallying in 2011. So he would be tested for Renault in the 2017 car after six year hiatus from the sport. And also, more young drivers got the, their chance to try out these 2017 cars. Among them, Lando Norris from McLaren, Luca Gialto for Williams, Pierre Gasly for Red Bull, who uh, does Super Formula in Japan, and then Nobuhiro Matsushita for Stellar. And then our Russell Mazepin for Uchi also continued testing for their respective teams. Mm-hmm. Again, Ferrari topped the timesheets with Sebastian Vettel, but McLaren Davies on Lando Norris impressing, getting second with a time of 117.385. Then followed Raikkonen, Kibitza, Sainz, Kvyat, our Russell, Mazepin, Gasly, Giotto, Ferrucci, and then Matsushita. I see. All right. That sounds like a very productive young driver's test out at the Hungara Ring. A so quick they... little thing I want to add in before okay. we close. Charles Leclerc is obviously doing well in Formula 2, and then he's impressed at this test. Now that Sauber has confirmed that they're not using Honda engines, that they're going to, they signed a deal with Ferrari to use current. Ferrari engines, so instead of having the 2016 engine that they have this year, for next season, they'll have the current 2018 Ferrari engine. 
So they could open up a Ferrari B team of sorts to get Leclerc or maybe Antonio Giovinazzi into those seats, which kind of calls into question Pascal Verlaine because he's mm. Mercedes. Yeah. With Ferrari supply team, so we'll see how that works out. All right. Thank you so much for reporting on the latest going on in Formula One, Tristan. Let's continue on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. They just had a race in Road America a couple of weeks ago. And so let's. I wanted to go through some of the important news that's going on in North America's highest level of sports car racing. Some major news in the past couple of weeks. The Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course will replace Circuit of the Americas on the 2018 WeatherTech Sports Car Championship calendar. It was rumored that COTA and IMSA failed to come up with a renewal deal. So the calendar slot opened up for Mid-Ohio. And Mid-Ohio is a great, great sports car course for this series to return to. They haven't raced there since the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series era back in 2013. We have a couple of announcements for the Long Beach Grand Prix next year, our local race. Irvine is just about half an hour away from Long Beach. The GT Daytona cars, unfortunately, will not return to Long Beach next year. Only the prototype and GT Le Mans classes will compete. There are a ton of pros and cons to this. First of all, GT Daytona was such a fun class to see race at Long Beach and to interact with because we got to interact with a ton of the teams in Grand Touring Daytona specifically more than the other categories, more than GT Le Mans. They're all pro drivers. They, they take everything quite seriously. They don't have as much fan access as Grand Touring Daytona. Prototype is kind of the same way a little bit for a lot of their teams. But Grand Touring Daytona had a ton of fan access. We got to go behind the scenes, you and I, Tristan, at the Long Beach Grand Prix with Park Place Motorsports as well as WeatherTech Racing Mercedes. What are your thoughts on that, Tristan? It's heartbreaking them to see that they would be there at the next Long Beach Grand Prix because it was such a great experience for us. And, you know, we talked about, you know, doing it again. But I can, I can understand they didn't take that class because the race was pretty hectic with that many cars in the field. But the question I have is why didn't they just do GTLM and GTD and, make the, and not take the prototypes? Why... I personally think, well, Prototype's a very famous class. They're the headlining class, and Long Beach is kind of a headlining race. It's only 100 minutes, but it's a headlining race on a great circuit. It was broadcast on Fox this year, and it had high TV ratings compared to other sports car races, and Prototypes were a huge part of that. Another reason, I think, for the Grand Touring Daytona being left out is because the Prototype class is growing, and the GTLM class is also growing next year, perhaps to a point where they're exceeding their paddock capacity, because they have to share the Long Beach Grand Prix with IndyCar, with Pirelli World Challenge, and a couple other minor league racing series as well that weekend. Yeah, that's a great point you bring out. That's definitely something we probably took into consideration. All right, now I'm going to fast forward through the next few pieces of news. Team Penske will enter the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship next year with Acura. Acura returns to prototype-level racing. They've already started their Grand Touring Daytona program this year. And so they're going to race the ARX05 next year, Team Penske, with Juan Pablo Montoya, three times Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona champion, two times Indianapolis 500 champion. Personally, I think one of the greatest drivers of this generation because of his success in a variety of different vehicles. Joining him will be a current WeatherTech sports car driver, Dane Cameron. He is a current prototype driver with the Whalen Cadillac number 31 team. So he's kind of been poached from that Whalen Cadillac team for this new Acura program with Penske. What a great opportunity for Dane and Juan. In other news, Extreme Speed Motorsports re-signs Luis Felipe Pipodorani to the Nissan program. He has been one of the most successful drivers for Nissan Extreme Speed Motorsports this year. For the race itself, 
at Road America, the Continental Tire Road Race showcased a two-hour and 40-minute affair at Road America a couple weekends ago. In Grand Tour in Daytona, and qualifying the number 48 Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini was penalized, and they lost 15 championship points. In the race itself, Youngs Klingman and Jesse Crone won the race for Turner Motorsport BMW. Our favorites, Patrick Lindsay and Jorg Bergmeister, finished second for Park Place Motorsport. Our favorites, of course, because Matt McMurray is, is their teammate for the endurance races. And in their Porsche 911, they only finished about 3.1 seconds behind. So a positive result for Park Place after winning the previous round in Lime Rock Park. Moving on to GTLM, Ford Chip Ganassi Racing won at Road America with Dirk Mueller and Joey Hand in the Ford GT over Lawrence Vantour and Gianmaria Bruni for Porsche. Third place was Ryan Bisco and Westbrook for Ford Chip Ganassi Racing. They finished in third place and Corvette fourth and fifth as well. In LMPC, Performance Tech Motorsports continued their fully winning streak. That classes only three full-time competitors. And in prototype, Johannes von Overbeck and Pipo Durrani won the race in the number 22 Tequila Patron Extreme Speed Motorsport Nissan Daytona prototype car over Ricky Taylor and Jordan Taylor in the Conoco Minolta Cadillac and Scott Sharp and Ryan Dial in the second Nissan DPI for Extreme Speed Motorsports. For the point standings in prototype real quickly, in prototype standings, the Conoco Minolta number 10 team still leads by 26 points over the number 5 Cadillac of Mustang Sampling Racing. And in third place right now is the Number 31, Whalen Engineering Racing Car, 31 points back. So Conoco Minolta Cadillac still has a, for the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac, still has a healthy lead over its competitors, especially in the other manufacturers. So Corvette, uh, excuse me, Cadillac is in the top three positions right now in points. In GT Le Mans in point standings, Corvette Racing leads just by a very small margin of eight points over Ford Chip Ganassi number 66 and and number 25, BMW Team Rahal Letterman Lanigan, they're leading by nine points. It's a very, very tight championship battle for GT Le Mans, heading towards the final three races for that category. And in GT Daytona, Scuderia Corsa is leading by a good margin over Riley Motorsports Mercedes. Scuderia Corsa races Ferraris. And number 57, Stevenson Motorsports Audi is in third place. Park Place Motorsports with Matt McMurray is currently in sixth place. They're on a really good streak right now, as I mentioned, and they have three races remaining. Virginia, Maserati, Laguna Seca, and the Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta. Only GTD and GTLM cars will be competing at the next race at the Virginia International Raceway. So Prototype and Prototype Challenge have two races remaining in their championships. In NASCAR, I'll briefly gloss over, Kyle Larson scored a spectacular victory in Michigan, adding a third win to his tally and another five playoff points. Chasing after Martin Truex Jr., who has the championship lead by a ton. There are only three races left to go before the playoffs. And in IndyCar, Joseph Newgarden won at the last race at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. And he now currently leads the standings by seven over Elio Castroneves and by eight over Scott Dixon. Let's go on real quickly. It's kind of like last time where we ran out of time to talk about the video game news real quick. Forza Motorsports 7 announced a host of new cars in a press release released today. They announced a bunch of cars in Europe, and that video game will release on October 3rd. So, Tristan, you had some video games to talk about as well. 
Yeah, I'm excited for Gran Turismo Sport, which actually has some FIA-sanctioned championships. So if you're one of the top GT Sport drivers, you actually get to go to the FIA prize-giving at Monaco and sit, you know, with real racing drivers, you know, from WRC, WEC, Formula One. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then there's other prizes along the way. And then also uh, Project Cars 2 with the feature of multi-class racing, which would be cool. You know, you could do, like, your own... 24-hour long with LMP1, LMP2, GT3, GTE, and then there's also a live track 2.0 system that's introducing that essentially makes the track a dynamic thing. So let's say you go off track and you pick up some grass on your tires and you go back on track, that grass will affect that piece of track and make the grip different there. Also adding a season, so, you know, fall, spring, winter, and all effect, you know, track temperature and grip and things like that so yeah very cool to see that yeah, we definitely need to dedicate more of a show to video games, especially as the fall the holiday season approaches where video games are being released more and more there's also one more thing I know you wanted to talk about and that's McLaren's World's Fastest Gamer Competition you've been setting into that yeah, so the McLaren World's Fastest Gamer Competition the competition to uh, find uh, McLaren Formula 1 simulator driver to work for the team so that first qualifier took place this last Monday on Art Factor 2, where drivers not finishing the, uh, where you set a qualifying time and the time trial, and you can, if you place in the top 20, you compete in the qualifying race. Mm, wow. um, in that race, uh, the drivers that finish in the top five move on to the final race that will take place in September. And then these race, these only races are carefully stewarded um, by experienced sim racers, and they're narrated by commentators to make the races as real as possible. So the drivers that took the top five for this uh, round one call part at Silverstone on our factor two were Rudy Van Buren, who took the win. Nikodem Wisniewski second, Henry Alsopti third, Graham Carroll fourth, and Atsy Kirkhoff fifth. So those drivers will have a chance to get a job as a McLaren Formula One simulator driver in September. Wow, that's very, very cool. A lot of esports opportunities now. It's another way to enter motorsport is through video gaming now more and more i mean i was once a video game racer myself back about four or five years ago i competed online with forza motorsport 4 and now it's just catching on with a lot of big organizations too first there was the formula e there's a sim race competition for a million dollars last year and now e-racing is exploding into a variety of different categories with a variety of different manufacturers racing series sponsors and it's it's growing more we got to talk more about that too mm -hmm. yeah definitely exciting time this Thursday, Tristan and I are going to see a showing of McLaren in Universal City. It's being shown around the country on Thursday night. L.A. is, is one of the theaters they're showing it at. It's also being shown at Concord de Elegance in Monterey on Friday. I'm looking forward to it. It's got a 75% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. If you care about that, I, I was going to see the film anyway. Also, Roger Donaldson is directing the film. It's about Bruce McLaren, who is the, the New Zealand race car designer, driver, engineer, and inventor, and most importantly, the founder of McLaren. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that on Thursday night. For more information, that you can go to McLarenFilm.com. Tristan, a real quick comment about the McLaren film. What do you think? Yeah, well, yeah, I heard about the release of the film like a couple of months ago in Europe, but I kind of forgot about that. But then you mentioned to me that they were showing it uh, this Thursday in the U.S., and, you know, we both say, you know, we have to go see it. So, yeah, I'm excited to go see the film and learn about the life story of one of automotive worlds and motorsports world's most uh, influential figures. And, yeah, I can't wait to have the uh, Q&A session with the director 
at the theater, which would be really, really cool to get some insight into the film itself. And yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, the Q&A. That's, that's the part I forgot to mention. Roger Donaldson will be giving a Q&A at that event. I'm looking forward to it. All right, that's it for this week on Speedway Sounds. Thanks so much to Tristan Cortez. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Noah, to join you on the show today. Hopefully I can be on in the future. I'm looking forward to it. So follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word on both Facebook and Twitter. For show previews, replays, and your opportunity to ask my guests a question, you're welcome to use the hashtag AnteatersInRacing whenever we're talking about motorsport here on the UC Irvine campus. Coming up next to begin the evening's music programming, The Color Spectrum with Jericho here on KUCI. I'm Noah Stein, and thank you so much for listening. Always wear a helmet, and never ever drive distracted or under the influence. And please always wear your seatbelt. You're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. See you next week.